Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome in to episode 271 of the Sources Say podcast, your go to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. Sources Say is, as always, brought to you by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations that's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental team looks forward to seeing you soon. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Back from the road, two weeks of just endless nonsense uh, down in North Augusta at Peach Jam, then uh, north of the border in Toronto, finally back home, settled in a couple days after the fact. So the dust has now settled on Kentucky's four-game winning streak stretch up in Toronto at the Global Jam. We were had we had times where we were thinking that there was a chance that they could go up there and lose a couple games. I don't think the competition um, justified some of those concerns after seeing the games, but still a ton to learn about this program, where things are currently. A lot to be excited about, Sean. Thank you for joining us. First and foremost, how the heck are you? I'm connected to the internet now, and it's good to be here. And uh, no, we we got a lot of positives out of that trip to Toronto. And I think that's probably the the main takeaway is uh, it, it was a shot in the arm for the fan base. And I think a shot in the arm for anyone who went through the spring and summer with this program and reasons to be optimistic. And 
has it really been two weeks since we were in North Augusta? It, like, man, it's like a, it feels like I went away to war, man. I just I've been <laughs> gone and and I haven't seen my family. My birthday was up there. I didn't even feel like I celebrated a birthday. I'm literally going with my mom tonight to celebrate birthday dinner because I've been gone the whole damn time. So it's just it's it's like time has just been irrelevant and non-existent to me in my little sphere so uh, i'm finally re rejuvenated i've needed this week desperately to get back on my feet and just like figure out which way is up and and sort everything out but uh it, it's been good to like let it marinate a little bit and and you know the you don't want to overreact in the moment after watching games and you know especially exhibition games like this you never want to overreact but um I feel just as good today about how the cats played in Toronto as I did as the games were going on, which is a really, really cool thing. Like there's, there's a ton to be excited about, uh, about these cats. And I guess just the trajectory of the program, where things stand right now and just what they can be down the road. Yeah. Then, then, you know, this is our first time talking since that trip ended and so many positive things to take away from each individual player to, the, the team overall to the way I thought Cal spoke to the media and some of the things that he said. And, and, and we'll get into some of the other things and, and some of the, maybe the concerns and, and injuries to, to Ugo and Bradshaw, but just overall what this roster did up there and sharing the basketball to me, Jack. And, and I said it last week when we were recording on the show that some people will say that the, the competition wasn't in the elite category and it's not going to be what Kentucky's going to face in the sec. And, some of the better programs in college basketball. And that's true, but just the overall look at the way that this team played and, and they played together. And I thought for the most part, every single player had their moment where they contributed and added something for fans to be excited about uh, all the way down the roster of anybody that contributed and played significant minutes. I thought they at least had one moment that could give you something to be like, okay, you know, that, that guy's going to be okay, or this guy's maybe better than what we expected. I, I don't think anyone just significantly, you know, underperformed. I, I thought that everybody had a moment, and I think that that's such a positive takeaway, especially when you get basketball in July. Like, this group is going to be okay. Yeah, I, I think big picture takeaway, uh, just ignore the competition. And again, I, I still think that they were mid-major plus level talents uh, uh, for all, all three of the, the, the opposing teams. Like it, it's not like we were playing a bunch of YMCA doofuses. Like, like there, there was actual tangible competition tenfold better than what we saw down in, in the Bahamas. So like, just make that clear. It was still very solid overall competition, not elite, not even very good, but still enough to get real takeaways about what this team is and what their identity is. And, and I think big picture, what I was personally most excited for 91.8 points per game while shooting 47% from the field, but big picture 103 total assists on 142 made field goals. That's a 40 or 72% assist rate. I don't care if they're doing that five on zero, Sean, like it's the, it's the selflessness of this team. It's the identity of, I, I would rather make the hockey assist. We, we saw so often this past year, ball dominance and you know assist hunters guys that would rather dribble the air out of the ball just so they could get the assist notch next to their name instead of making the extra pass that would lead to the next pass whether it be a lob at the rim or an extra kick out to for the three like that is an identity of of unselfish basketball that last year's team was clearly missing a, a clear uh flaw of last year's group and i think part of the 
lack of cohesion that we saw of last year's group is because they understood that the ball stuck so often that they kind of got lackadaisical on the perimeter. They knew that once the ball went inside to Oscar, game over. They, they weren't seeing it again. It was black hole. It's it, it's gone. Even if it was the ball was in Xavier's hands, they knew that he was going to look to make his assist, not to kick out that would lead to the extra bucket. We don't have that issue with this team. This is a group that wants to make that extra pass, get the extra hockey assist, and, and keep that thing moving. And Cal, I think, had a couple very specific, I don't want to say jabs, but very specific comments about we don't need 12 dribbles before the offense gets rolling. And he also mentioned this isn't a wrestling wrestling match. This isn't a uh, you know marathon. This isn't you know about athletes and being a bruiser and things like this was about having basketball players playing together. We got to see that on full display. And that's big picture. No matter who the competition was, that matters more than anything else that we saw in Toronto. It absolutely does. And and that was the the big takeaway for me was just how Kentucky played the game. And and you and I got into for, for weeks about some things that Kentucky was going to do offensively. And, and they did those things on that trip. The the things that you and I discussed leading up to that trip in early July, all those things that we talked about, they they were on display and they looked better than I thought they were going to look. And it was an exciting brand of basketball. And I know some people will say 24 second shot clock played into that. And I mean, it does like it speeds the game up and I would love to see that be become a part of college basketball, just because I thought the overall, the way the games were officiated, I thought were improved play too. That's something we probably know we will not see here in a few months. And but just overall, love the four quarters too. Yes, the four quarters that that changes it up too. And, and I, I keep wondering why they're they're not going to move that. I don't know if it has anything to do with the number of TV timeouts or what it is. But uh, at some point, I'd love to see men's college basketball catch up with where everybody else is and, and go to quarters too. But back to what you were saying about the sharing the basketball, that right there. It didn't matter that they had 10 practices together or whatever the number was. I wasn't getting caught up in how many guys missed shots or how many guys made shots. I was looking at what was the quality of play. And sharing the basketball like that with just a short couple of weeks together is so impressive. And being down two bigs and having to get creative with your lineups, just I thought the the overall energy too, the, the body language that guys played with. When you saw Antonio Reeves shooting the ball, there were dudes reacting – while it was still in flight to the rim. Like this, those guys were having fun in Toronto. I thought John Calipari look, just looks rejuvenated. I think he looks refreshed. It's like he's he's hit a restart button and he's found something that has made him joyful about this group. And, and I hope that that sticks too. Like there was just joy all the way around. And, and let me add, John Calipari was not required to speak like – even half of as much as that that he did up in Toronto, like the media team kind of told Cal, Hey, we'd love for you to, you know, obviously you need your kind of state of the program address to start with. Hey, we're excited to be here. You know, what does this event mean to you? Things like that in, in game one and even game two, they were like, Hey, you should probably give, you know, uh, an in-depth breakdown of how the game went, how things are going, where you think the game, you know, this team is trending injuries, you know, yada, yada, those, those sorts of things. And then from there on, he was off the hook. Like he was not required games three and four to speak to the media. In fact, they were kind of anticipating after game four that he was going to, you know, send out Orlando, send out Chin, send out, you know, we haven't even talked to Chuck Martin yet in a, in a public official capacity yet. That would have been a good opportunity for him. Cal went out of his way to not just talk, but give really thoughtful and, and, and exciting and, and you, you know, 
talk in depth about where things stand and, and what he thinks about this team. And I think that's indicative of, of, of his mindset going into, you know, the bulk of, of the off season pre, you know, preseason, like he is confident about this group. He likes this group. He said several times in those interviews, I'm having fun. Are you guys having fun? Like oh, we, we are really enjoying this. And I just did not get that level of excitement last season, sometimes the year before at times, but I think that this is the style of play he's wanting to play. I think this is the group of talent, young, you know, the young clay that he wants to be able to mold that I just don't think he has seen in recent rosters that I think he's really, really genuinely excited about. He, he's There's so much excitement with him, and, and this is the type of roster that fits him, right? A lot of young kids, a couple of veterans that, you know, are, are really, to me, that the difference in what why we saw such good quality play. In Toronto, Antonio Reeves making shots and Trey Mitchell kind of being a, a unicorn at that five spot that just does a lot of good stuff. And that's just such a huge addition to this program is, is Trey and and the things that he adds offensively and, and getting there and fighting for rebounds and sticking his nose in there defensively, uh, undersized at that position that he had to play on that trip. But the pieces just fit together so well. And, and that's where I was coming from that you can dive into analytics and you can dive into – uh, each individual player's performance over the course of the week. And they all had moments where they we know that they need to improve on. But overall, back to what I was saying in the beginning, every guy had their moment that stood out in a positive way too. Like it was somebody different every single game. Reed Shepard had his run where he looked like the best player on the team. And then DJ Wagner becomes the closer. And then before the trip ended, what I thought was the biggest takeaway was Justin Edwards having his moment that he had not had in the previous three games. Him doing that, hitting shots, being aggressive, that was, to, to me, the final cherry on top for the entire trip As you got to see all those guys kind of do their thing. Rob Dillingham had his moments early in the trip where he had a lot of assists and, and wasn't turning the ball over, wasn't forcing things. We do know that he needs to get stronger. All these guys need have things that they need to get better at, but overall as a team, they just complement each other so well. And, and that's where I think that this team was probably the most surprising to me is how far along they were together. And I love that Cal went out of his way to close out the event to say nothing's changing about what we're doing and what our identity is going to be once the seven footers come back. Terrible news. We'll talk. I need to get your thoughts on this now. Ugan Onyenso goes down with what was perceived as an, a, an ankle roll at the time of, of the uh, initial exhibition game, the, the exhibition for the exhibitions uh, before the, the global games uh, games ramped up. Um, he, Turns his ankle against Team Africa. It was that Tuesday. He goes, is on crutches, is uh, in, in a boot. The initial kind of diagnosis, there there was a lot of optimism that, like, hey, it didn't look that bad. You know, he's, he's probably going to be okay. And then I think that pain kind of continued to linger the next couple of days. They had him as, you know, wrapped up and taped up and, and all the cautions you could possibly get. And it still wasn't, I don't think, developing the way they were hoping. And they were like, Ugh. so I was told before the trip ended, uh, they decided to go um, send him home, get some further testing done. And unfortunately did reveal, again, another freaking break, that, or a, a fracture that absolutely sucks, man. Because this was such a crucial opportunity for Ugo to just figure out what he was, get some real one-on-one. -on -one. Like, Again, his backup for the majority of the, the, the summer practices was Jordan Bur Jordan Burks, 6'9", you know, barely 200 pounds, a true forward. 
as your backup five, like you can't bang against somebody like that. You can't, you can't know who you are at, from a physicality standpoint against somebody like that. So there was a lot of excitement internally about what he could do in these four games against legitimate, like talent aside, just actual physicality and, and you know, see where he see how far he's come along this offseason. You don't get that. He goes down with his injury. Now it's kind of Trey Mitchell as a starter with Jordan Burks as his backup. So you kind of have uh you don't have any physicality on this team whatsoever. Uh, Aaron Bradshaw is still on pace to come back in, in, in time for the regular season. Uh, John Calipari kind of put out a couple of months. Kyle Tucker said it was a two-month timeline for Ugo to return. So you're missing really valuable practice time with your two seven-footers on the team that who will be needed this, this upcoming season. Uh, it's It's a good thing to see how well the team played without both of them, but it's still – uh, that that's my biggest question mark leaving this event. Just what do you have in the front court, and do you kind of have to stick with your guns and and how what was working uh, up in Toronto playing small ball? Yeah, and and two, the, it kind of put Jordan Burks at a disadvantage too, putting him on the floor at spots where we're not going to see him if Kentucky's at full strength. But hey, he, he got on the floor and he contributed, made some plays too. But it, it's a it's a big blow to to Ugo. It's a big blow to the team too because uh, that was the guy that you and I had circled that needed this trip the most of of all the guys on this roster because he's the one that's that's different than all the other pieces they got. He's the guy that is uh, built as a rim protector, and, and we want to see how much he had improved offensively and the decision making and, and those areas of his, as, of his game that now we don't get to see. And, and being out a couple of months, it, it delays his development going into the season. And your your fear is you have two big men here that have injuries to a foot. It's it's not a guard. It's it's different when it's big men with lower body injuries, and especially when it comes to your feet. That is the concern that I think that now you look at this thing. If you're John Calipari, I think it's a big risk if you don't add somebody. And and it's not like that. I mean, you're you're kind of playing a waiting game to see what happens with grad transfers in the portal in August. You have no idea who's going to go in there and what's going to happen. Look look at the situation of how Kentucky landed Trey Mitchell a month ago. Like that that's not an everyday thing that just kind of happens. But somebody will become available. It's just does Kentucky pursue it? And if they do add a grad transfer or someone from the portal, it has to be a piece that fits and can contribute right away on this roster. If they don't then I think that you have to look at Santo possibly as a reclass just to add another frame to the, to this team because you got to have some physicality on it. From all the good that we saw offensively and the things that they did, you got to have somebody that can't get pushed around that can help you on the glass. I don't know if Santo is going to be able to be a guy that could just play a ton of minutes right away as a freshman. We know that he still needs development, but the hope is you get both of those bigs back. But if one of them is delayed in the return, you've got to have some security behind them to at least have some depth there. You you got away with it with Trey at the five. I don't know if you can get away with it for an entire season, though. And, and just from a physicality standpoint, you cannot have zero presence. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Down, down low. Like, you, you got to have somebody. in Sampto, again, that's what we've talked about, is just the perfect guy where the expectations just really are not that high for him. And you don't need a 
a superstar at that position. Like you don't. You like where things stand right now. And I mean, shoot, the team the teams would probably be okay, like probably be okay with where things are, assuming no injuries. But the issue is you can't assume stuff like that. You can't be caught with this collection of talent, with this much versatile versatility, a group that Cal is clearly in love with. You can't be caught empty-handed uh, and assume everything's going to be okay if Aaron Bradshaw's situation gets pushed back, if Ugo's situation gets delayed any. Like the the margin for error is so thin right now that it, it just it it just be so such a luxury to have a guy like Santo in or, or you know. I, I asked just flat out, what would it take for Kentucky to add somebody in, in August, a, a, the grad transfer route? Why why not push for a Sompto reclass and further explore the grad transfer route? And the response I got back was, we're staying put unless something crazy happens. Would Ugo going down with a broken foot not classify as something crazy? I mean, it's crazy. If you ask me, I think that's pretty darn crazy. I, I I agree, man. I, I just don't know how you can comfortably pass on an insurance policy at the in in the front court if it if it presents itself. Like it, you, don't, you don't need a superstar; just find a physical presence, whether it's Sompto or somebody in the grad transfer route. Make make it happen because you you do not want to be caught empty-handed this season. No, and it, it doesn't even have to be a guy that you play through at any point. It doesn't have to be a guy that gets you points. Uh, maybe just a couple some dunks here and there some some size to just kind of disrupt things on the interior and in, in the SEC. We know that if this is what Kentucky's roster were to look like going into the season, every focal point on every scouting report would be attack Kentucky at the rim and go right at Kentucky on the block. We saw that against and, Canada in the gold medal. And, yeah, and that would be – but then you'd have coaches at the, the highest level of college basketball game planning an entire season against Kentucky to, to attack it. That's a dangerous game to play. And then you go back to you and I in the spring and what we talked about when we were going through the Hunter Dickinson stuff and, and Ugo in the portal. We, we kept talking about, wow, Kentucky has no depth whatsoever on the interior. And then the Bradshaw injury becomes what it is. And then you get Ugo going down. Like, you just can't you can't run the risk of that happening. And there's no positives that come from injuries, but I'm glad it happened now and not in October, November, where the staff thought, mm, we'll be okay. Because then if one of those guys goes down, now you're down to one. And sure, you can get away with it with Trey as, as a backup five or maybe even primarily being the five, especially in some offensive lineups. But who's to say you don't get into January, February, and you get another turned ankle by your other big man? Because we know this happens. There's going to be guys on this roster that are going to get tweaks and they're going to do things and they're going to miss a game or two. Like that happens. That's the grind of college basketball but you're already kind of thin at one spot. You've got to add some depth there and we'll see. Like it's, it's almost August. It's going to kind of get crazy. I'm sure you'll have some guys become available. It'll be, does do any of those guys make sense to Kentucky? And if they don't, then I think you at least got to look at a reclass. If not, you have a team that has a chance, I think to make a deep run this tournament. I don't want to see it kind of just come and go the, and, and kind of fall through just because of not having enough pieces and enough bodies at, at the five spot, just on the interior. And that, man, that's what sucks about losing a guy like Lance Ware, because I wouldn't have any concerns whatsoever if, if Lance were still in the roster and he was your enforcer, like it, it, it just really sucks. Like that's where it sucks to lose a guy like Lance, where he, again, you're not 
I I honestly prefer Cal to not take best player available just for the sake, like if a Hunter Dickinson level talent, you know, where, yes, the talent's clearly there, but you kind of have to get wonky with fit and, and style of play and things like that. I'd almost prefer Cal favor fit, just find the the right plug in play guy. Like, I mean, shoot, look what they did with Trey Mitchell. Trey Mitchell was not the most talented big available uh, i mean shoot they could have gone all in on you know the rest of the west virginia roster there were other i mean uh, other pieces there that probably would have been a higher level of talent but for what kentucky was looking for at that given time trey mitchell was the absolute perfect fit and that was as clear as day when when we saw him play in, in toronto 14 and a half points uh, 57% shooting, 44% from three, 100% from the free throw line, 7.7 rebounds, 4.5 assists, one steal, 1.5 blocks, 32 minutes a game. Like he was the perfect, like absolute perfect player for what Kentucky was looking for. I'd almost prefer Cal to go that route if necessary. If, if, if he looks at his team in the mirror and says, we need one, we need one insurance policy. I'm, I would hope that Sompta would be that guy. You figure things out academically. I was told he's sh- he short one class right now that is not available in the summer. So it's one of those like, do you find a loophole? Do you find an, some random online class that allows him to like, I have no idea. I don't know how the, the credit transfers work and all that. Like, I, I don't know. But he is one class short of being eligible for college basketball right now. So it's just like, damn, man. Like, I, I That'd be a perfect ideal scenario to just get things figured out academically with Sompto, get him in, get him, you know, high floor, low ceiling guy, make it work with him. And, and there, there's your physical presence. That'd be ideal. But um, I don't know. It, it'll be really fascinating to see what Cal does in the coming weeks. And, and Sompto's a guy, too, that I get it. You know, they they feel like he needs another year at OTE. And, and a lot of people feel that. But if you're coming to Kentucky and you're already committed, he's going to develop more in this program practicing in this program than he will anywhere else. And if he's committed to, to being at Kentucky for more than one season, then I think that it almost makes sense to, to go ahead and join the roster in August and get here if he can, or at some point to, to get all, to get that, that practice time. And we know that that's, that's crucial, but um, we'll see where Kentucky goes. It's this transfer portal stuff and the grad transfer loopholes and everything. It's made it a 12 month, 365 days a year process for coaches now. And uh, you're, you're constantly having to to recruit and, and and look at how you can impact your roster. And uh, Kentucky is in a situation where they're going to have to. And you're, you're smiling, so I have no idea. Three, what you're three, three straight comments in the comment section. Connor Rigg, you should talk to Dwayne Washington. Cameron Maxwell, <laughs> can we get Shaden's mentor to help with the Santos transcript? FT. Now, how could someone possibly find a loophole in the high school academic system to get a degree right before a deadline? I simply don't think that can be done. <laughs> Dwayne Washington to have that, that transcript written in crayon at the perfect, perfect time for you, if necessary. So, like Santo needs needs to hit up our guy Dwayne Washington. That guy would be eligible tomorrow if if Dwayne Washington was his representation. But uh, I didn't know what you're about to say, but as I was trying to make my point, I would look at you laughing. I was like, I, I just need to end what I'm saying and let him speak here because I, I knew it was something good. It's just th- three straight, bang, bang. <laughs> Dwayne Washington jab, Dwayne Washington, Shane Sharp jab. Dwayne, you like this, by the way? I fell down the stairs the, the fir- first day I got I got back. You like that? 
it's, yeah. uh, that, that, that's where that's where my mind was when I got back from from Toronto, falling down the stairs. Not uh, just absolute. Did you have your hands full? Cluster. Did I have my hand? No, it was like a cartoon. So <laughs> I, I, I have a, a a cup in my hand. It was full of water and ice, like l- l- filled to the top. And I'm halfway down the stairs. And in my mind, I even think, hey, this carpet's kind of slippery. It'd be really terrible for me to fall down the stairs. I thought at the very top step. And I was like, man, can't be, you know, that, that'd be a, a terrible thing. And I get halfway down. I think I'm in the clear. My heel slides across the top. And as I, my, my heel slips forward, the cup goes straight in the air like I'm on freaking Looney Tunes. And the whole cup drenches on my head. Cup hits me in the head. And I down the stairs like a big freaking idiot. So it's been it's been a disaster and a half this week, man. Should, should I look at grad transfers in the portal too in August, just in case you have an injury? Yeah, so, so, so to say, uh, pulls gets uh, gets a new guy out of the bullpen. While we're off track and being absolutely ridiculous, this week, while I guess a little bit last week too, because we had just gotten our nice little package in the mail or whatever. Let me tell you, our friends at Bird Dogs. I, I look. There's sometimes you. You, you know, you get a partnership, you get a, an ad that, you, you know, you're not super familiar with the product. You're, you know, you're trying to hype it up a little bit to, you know, sell, but like, would, would you truly be using that product just going to buy it in a general, like, would you go buy that at Kroger or at Walmart or whatever, like Dick sports, whatever, like, would you go out of your way to buy that product? Sometimes. Yeah. But not all the time. Bird dogs, bro. Unbelievable. I'll do my ad read, but more so just my personal experience has just been fantastic. Bird Dogs makes you look good. Completely agree there. Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Uh, Bird Dogs shorts do exactly the same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of stiff, restricting cotton. Bird Dogs fix this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Uh, they also use uh, anti-stick sweat, anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. Uh, look, I... I in fact, no, it, it wasn't the the tumbler that I fell down the stairs with, but it was, it was a different tumbler. But thank goodness, because I would not want it. It's, it's an amazing tumbler. I've been using the heck out of that. But the shorts and the pants have been absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Sean, I, I know you've been wearing the heck out of them as well. Yeah, I have. Actually, uh, we had an event here get canceled on the 4th of July and got, or got not canceled, but postponed to this past weekend. And I wore them there and they were super comfortable. And have you... Did you? I got the shorts and I got the joggers too, and, and I like the joggers. I'm, I'm a joggers guy. Ooh, you got you got them on. That's the same pair I have. They're, they're, they they feel amazing. Them. Yeah, like I, I can't them. I can't wait till practice starts and I can just wear bird dogs joggers all the time to, to basketball practice. Like no, like I'm I'm serious though. The shorts are super comfortable. Actually, I have mine on. I don't know if you can see them on camera here, but. I don't know if you can even get my camera there, but we don't need to be seeing seeing all no. that leg. I, I already got out of my comfort zone by showing all that all that all that leg. So I I, I don't think we need to be turning show, off our viewers. I'll show by, my thumb where though. There we go. Off. 
Speaking of that tumbler, go to birddogs.com promo code KSR or birddogs.com slash KSR for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash KSR or promo code KSR for a free Yeti style tumbler. You do not want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. I, I've been sleeping in them. Like I just, I uh, am obsessed with them so much. I, I appreciate our uh, partnership with them. They're, they're the best. And, um, uh, uh, big, big, big fan of our guys at bird dogs. Make sure you, uh, purchase and get your uh, free, free tumbler to go with it. I, I, I absolutely love it. Well, while we're uh, running through some of the things that went on in, in Toronto and, and some big picture takeaways, how about a do theory? We're talking about bigs and guys who, uh, you know, kind of change what this team can do and what the, the identity of this team is. Having a guy like a do theory as, as your starting four for the majority of the week. Um, him splitting time with Justin Edwards at the four was was pretty darn terrific, if you ask me. I, I love what uh, the, he was doing in particular, attacking the basket. He's going to be a, a free throw line, just absolute demon this season. I'm very excited for the uh, upside and, and continued growth of Adutira. Yeah, I, I thought that kind of the the things that he did and, and the way that he added contributions to the team and a lot of people were just talking about how much better he was. And and that's the thing. Like we, we had no idea what to expect out of DJ Wagner and the freshmen. Like we've, we've seen their high school tape and we watched them in all-star games and uh, EYBL events and all those, but we saw a do on the floor a year ago for Kentucky and he looked significantly improved four or five months removed from the, from the NCAA tournament. And he, I, th- I think he's able to slide and play a position that fits him more. He's not the primary ball handler but he still gets to kind of showcase some of that strength and the ability to, to get the ball by a defender's hip. He had some dunks and flashed off some athleticism and some power. Uh, he's going to be a guy that's going to play. And, and I don't know what his role is going to be exactly. Like, and, and that's where not seeing Kentucky at full strength, it kind of forced some guys to, to do some different things, maybe play some extended minutes at spots that they won't play here in a few months. But He's a guy to me, Jack, that I think is going to kind of fluctuate all, all across the minutes played. Like there's going to be a game where I think you're going to use him maybe 26, 27, 28 minutes if you have to. Then there's going to be some games where maybe he plays 17, 18 minutes. I, he's kind of a just a versatile piece that can do a lot of things for you. He can rebound his position. He can get to the free throw line. Can he knock down shots consistently from the perimeter? He has experience in this program. That's something that you cannot take away and you cannot undervalue. Like, that is a big thing. You get Kentucky experience. He's got to take that into the sophomore year and build on it. But, hey, he had a good trip. I thought he did a lot of good stuff. And uh, you can certainly see some growth in his game and not just growth in his game, but growth in his frame, too. Like, he looks stronger. Oh, Chap Franklin coming after you, Sean. The, the fact that these guys are egregiously late time after time is frustrating. Well, <laughs> if you kind of think about it, if we had set it for 5 o'clock, because we just kind of made up what what the time was going to be. If we had set it at five o'clock, we would have been forty eight minutes early. So, you know, it, it just it depends on on which side of the aisle. But it's kind of like a, a a running joke at this point. There's always something popping up as we're going live that is out of both of our controls, and you know, it, it's it's part of our our thing. And you just got to roll with the punch. Con- control the controllables as. Uh, several brilliant minds once or continue to say we, we've, got, we've got to do what you got to do. We've we've been later. <laughs> I had we've had some uh, we've had some days where we were in the thirty to thirty five minute range of being late, but we've cleaned those up. But today was my fault, and I apologize. I was trying to get internet to connect. It was not happening, and then uh, 
one quick reboot and it finally worked. And uh, trust me, you're frustrated. I could tell Jack was frustrated when I got on here and saw his face. He was ready to get started at four o'clock. I wasn't. So uh, my fault. And uh, but hey, we're giving you good content. We're here. And uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah, it gives us time to, to join the channel and time for the justice dental ad read. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, you, you wouldn't be able to experience the greatness that is justice dental. And while we're at it, I mean, we got to talk about our guy, Andy Ludicky. Sources say is also brought to you by our, our friend, uh, Andy Ludicky and MyPerfectFranchise.net. Are you ready to leave the corporate rat race for the American dream? Looking for a side hustle while working your current job, wanting to diversify, build wealth, and or leave a legacy? Andy can help. Andy is a franchise consultant as well as franchise owner and helps people find franchises that fit their skill sets, financial requirements, time to commit, and more. His services are 100% free, and he is here to help you if you have any questions about business ownership you can learn more and contact Andy anytime at www.myperfectfranchise.net uh, Sean we, we talked a little bit to open the show uh, about uh, Reed Shepard and just I, I guess we had heard such great things about what he had done in, in summer practices and how he had been ahead of schedule but were you expecting him to control the game the way he did and uh, understand pace and body control and and playing with within the flow of the offense so well at this stage um because like i know he played point guard at north world but i was just you know interested to see what role he was going to fit at this program i thought he was going to be more of the cj frederick kind of catch and shoot uh, at least from day one and he'd have to kind of grow into the primary ball handler role but i really thought he he stepped right in and, and was really comfortable as that lead guard cal said he could play one through three uh, he was the one guy that I think really raised his own personal stock about what his immediate expectations are here at Kentucky, but also what he can be down the road. Like, I, again, I had heard leading up to this trip that the staff is not expecting him to be around four years. If you think Reed Shepard is going to be a four-year player at Kentucky, you're wrong. Like, that is not going to happen here. He he is going to be a, you know, probably a multi-year guy, but uh, I, I'm, I'm – if you're expecting three – and hopeful for four, I'd rather expect three and or ex, expect two and hope for three. That that's my in, in anticipation about where Reed Shepard is right now and uh, what, what he's what he can be from day one and what he's going to be in the future for this this Kentucky program. Yeah, he. I, I would say I was surprised a, a little, but his pace of play, I wasn't surprised with that because I feel like that that's the strength of his game is he plays at his pace. And he always plays at this pace. He he dictates the pace with the ball in his hands. You can't speed him up. And I think that's why you're going to see him be able to take care of the basketball at this level and, and not turn it over. Like, he doesn't panic in any situation. And you saw him the times that he did make mistakes. He, he made a, a, a poor inbounds pass there in front of Kentucky's bench where there, there wasn't a ton of movement. There wasn't a lot of guys going to the ball. But he was quick to let everybody know, like, hey, that's my fault. Or if he made a mistake, he was tapping his chest, like, hey, that's on me. And uh, a, a guy that, to me, you're going to see him on the floor late in games for Kentucky, regardless of whether he starts or if he's sixth man or seventh man, that feels like a guy that's going to be a part of Kentucky's closing lineup. And a lot of it is because of some things that Cal has said. Like, he is a really smart inbounds trigger man, throwing the ball inbounds, taking care of the basketball. He gives you another guy that can play the point on the floor. I expect Reed Shepard to be in those closing lineups when Kentucky's trying to close teams away in November, December, and especially in SEC play. 
but Jack, his ability to hit shots, I know he didn't hit any the first game, but his best level of play was games two and three. And he was consistently good in those moments. And I, I was watching to see would he add pressure to himself being Jeff's son, being finally in that that stage of playing at Kentucky, wearing the number 15. Now, that's a guy that look, looked relaxed. He was having fun and always makes the right play. I said this the other day, 11 out of 10 times Reed Shepard makes the right play because on one play, he's making it right twice. Like he he's always making the right play. That's why he's going to play. And I think Cal knew that Reed was good. So if anybody was actually surprised, I might even think that maybe Cal and the staff was surprised about how good he actually was or how good he actually is. But those of us that have seen him, I don't think that there's any surprise at the pace that he had. He, he dictates the pace, and that's the most impressive thing about him. When he signed with Kentucky, I thought he was going to be a maybe. I thought he – look, I'm going to be totally honest. I kind of thought he would have the, you know, Joey Hart treatment, at least from from day one. And, and I'd seen Reed play a ton. Like, it wasn't anything about Reed. I just, I just didn't know if Cal would ever – play a dude like Reed as early as he did. Like I, I felt, you know, Derek Willis, kind of the same thing. He like, that was a dude that didn't get really cooking until year three, year four, year, year four being when he really took off. Like Cal, it, it's just been a thing. Like, and it's nothing against him because Cal usually plays really damn good talent. It's like, it's nothing against either side. It's just, you know, I, I was just expecting a, a shorter leash initially that would lead to fewer minutes from day one, maybe five minutes a game, you know, kind of like a, you know, in-state, you know, Dante Island, Dominique Hawkins, Derek Willis work, you know, maybe situationally he'd get in, but really not as a primary role player or rotation piece in the slightest. And then you hear some of those rumblings about, hey, he's, you know, he's knocking down shots and he's making the right reads and, you know, basketball IQs on full dis- display you know, he might be a kid that plays. And then you kind of adjust that and think, okay, he's going to play 10 minutes, maybe 15 a game, like maybe 15 a game, but comfortably in that, you know, probably 12 minute a game window. And then you see him and you understand how far along he's coming. Like right the week before they left for Toronto is when the buzz really started coming out. Like, dude, this kid's good. Like he's not just in-state Kentucky good. He's not just you know, Jeff Shepard's son, good. Like, this is a damn good basketball player that is going to play. And now, like, I'd be shocked if he doesn't play 20 minutes a game this year. Like, I, I'm I'm genuinely honest that I I, I think Reed Shepard will be a 20-minute-per-game guy. He's going to be that stable kind of role presence where he's going to kind of fit in. If, if Kentucky needs to make shots, he's going to come in and, and play the two. If, if Kentucky needs kind of a stable role presence at, at the lead guard position, I think he's going to provide that for, for the Cats. I, I think Reed Shepard's going to play, and he's going to play a lot, and he's going to play really well. Being able to play the lead guard position is probably the, the thing that helps him get more minutes, is being able to put him in that spot and say, okay, Reed, we're trusting you here for this four-minute stretch to to kind of weather the storm for us and get us set and take care of the basketball. And, and him being able to do that, at the and he plays at a different pace than, than DJ does. He plays at a different pace than Rob does. I think that's another thing that kind of makes Kentucky so dynamic and hard to guard is they have guards that play at different paces. It's not just all go, 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 go. Like Reed can get up and go too, but Reed picks his spots of where he goes and when he doesn't go. And his IQ, his ability to pass the ball, to make the the hockey pass that you talked about earlier, the the guy that can can get the, the offense going but can also get his own too and knock down shots. Like that's a guy that has some versatility to his game that – Kentucky's going to find itself using a lot more often than maybe what we thought they were going to. Like, this is a really good backcourt 
that's going to have its moments. Like we, we know some of these freshmen are going to have games where they struggle, but it's the depth of talent at that position that's going to make Kentucky go. Not every night is DJ Wagner going to play well, but late in games, you're still going to see DJ Wagner on the floor because he's he can, he can be Kentucky's closer. He's got that he's got a dog in him that some guys don't have at that spot that just goes and makes plays. And he did some things that you just can't coach. And I thought Reed Shepard made some plays that you just can't coach too, that just a high IQ basketball players do. When you add high IQ to talent, you have a recipe for a lot of success. And I think Kentucky's got some high IQ basketball players. I, th- I think they have some guys that can make shots and make plays. And I'm excited to see where they go. And let's see what this team does. Like, I, I think that there's stuff to be concerned about, but it's July. And those things can be fixed and corrected over the course of the next seven to eight months. But the positives, there's so many of them to take away, both individually and collectively as a group. I had three questions about this team. I wrote a you know twenty one hundred word feature on on KSR about um, my three que- the three question three questions that I got answers to going to to Toronto that we have the answers to. But I, st- I had three other questions that I still had leaving Toronto. One was what does Kentucky have in the front court? I think that's a, an obvious one that we've we've addressed. Um, Number two, we kind of talked about style of play and, and, you know, assist ratio and things like that. But really, more importantly, three-point shooting numbers, 117 three-pointers across four games, 39% of the team's total shots, 37.6% overall. Um, Sean Cal went out of his way to say this team could be a team that shoots 27 a game. Um, he they proceeded to top that number twice beyond that uh, up in Toronto. Um 29.3 three-pointers taken per game uh, in the Global Jam. In Cal's 14 seasons in Lexington, 19.9 attempts per contest is the highest ever, and that was the 2016-17 team with Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, and uh, Bam Adebayo. Do you envision a path for Kentucky to sustain that level of volume Um I have a hard time believing they hit 27 a game, but do you see them comfortably passing that that 19.9 uh, mark that the uh, Darren Fox squad said in 2016-17? I see this being a team, d- depending on lineups, but I think that they're going to get to somewhere in that 20 to 23 three-point attempts taken. And, and it's all because of the personnel, the style of play that they're going to play offensively, that dribble drive motion and, and some other things. And if they do commit to, to going five out, and playing with and playing in space and, and a lot of guards getting downhill and attacking, then I think you're going to see Kentucky average somewhere between 20, 23, three point attempts a game. And and we know shot clock and stuff. There there were the the quality of shots that were taken in Canada, a faster style of play. How much does SEC officiating kind of mess that up in the flow of the game? Like it's true. not just not just SEC officiating, but college basketball officiating. You're going to have some games where you're going to see free throws after free throw after free throw. And it's the frustrating thing about it. And that's why I want to see the the game go to four quarters and then start resetting fouls at the end of each quarter. That way, if you have a four or five minute spurt to open a game where you get a couple of offensive fouls or or things like that, that kind of stockpile those fouls and then get you in the bonus with 12 minutes to go in the first half, you're not living at the free throw line on every whistle the rest of the way. So I, I do expect those numbers to dip. But I don't think they're going to dip to a point to where they're taking games where we're seeing – like there were games last year and in the past where we saw Kentucky shoot 13, 14 threes. And that's not really a, a number that's stretching stretching you out and expanding the floor and spacing it. 
Kentucky's going to consistently take, I think, somewhere in that 20 to 23 number. They will have some games where I think they take more, but I think they're going to settle in on average somewhere through there. And I think that fits their style of play. And when you got a guy like Antonio Reeves, he probably needs to take seven, eight threes a game, maybe even more if he's hitting. And you went out of your way um, throughout the trip to highlight the shot chart and just how different, I mean, a night and day difference between shoot anything Cal has really done uh, during his time here. Uh, and we had heard both of us together had heard that there was a very clear point of emphasis in practice to cut out the long twos. This is not just a fluke thing that we saw in Toronto. That shot chart is reflective of what they had been doing in practice. Like they're, they, they are trying to cut out the 17 and 18 footers. They really want to maximize scoring potential and i think there's a big like i don't think it's a coincidence that they go for 91.8 points per game maverick average margin of victory of of 12.8 like that was not a coincidence the shot chart that you saw across all four games i think i counted um 25 jump shots outside the painted painted area over 298 total field goal attempts 25 i mean it's different that's different. Do you, is that sustainable with what Kentucky's trying to do this year with the with the personnel uh, John Calipari has with this roster? It, it is sustainable, and the biggest factor you're seeing in, in why Kentucky has those shot charts is it's not just a difference in, in in style of play and how Kentucky's playing, but it's the personnel that they have on the floor. Like last season's team, and and I know we, we screamed and we screamed and we screamed about long twos, and and that was the part of last year that I think that they still could have taken out. They could have played the way that they played, but you didn't need to be taking 16-footers or 17-footers and a a toe on the line or just a step inside. Those were the frustrating shots. But I thought that the way that this roster is constructed now, you can do things that you weren't able to do the last two or three years at Kentucky. We didn't see any floppy action at all in Toronto. Do we see that at any point when we get into the season, if they're trying to get a guy look, I, maybe, but I don't think it's going to be the the bulk of what Kentucky does offensively like it had been in the past. Like you can go back and I've watched some games in the last week or so from 21, 22, and I've gone back to 18, 19 and just how early Kentucky was getting into its floppy action. That was the main thing that Kentucky ran offensively. It was trying to get, whoever was the the guard on Kentucky's roster that was a star or two that was trying to get them looks. And that is the reason why some of these guys has success in the NBA, but it's not leading to a ton of offensive numbers that really stand out to you at the, at the collegiate game. What Kentucky has now, it has guards that can get by their man, get in the paint and make plays for others. That was something that was missing. How many guys on last year's roster, Jack, could, could you say confidently could beat their man off the bounce? anytime they wanted without having to use a ball screen. Cause that's another thing too. You didn't see a ton of ball screens. You got, you saw it initiate the offense, but you didn't see just ball screen, ball screen, ball screen. You saw guys just being able to beat their man. And once the first guy got beat, it was second guy getting beat, third guy getting beat, fourth guy gets a shot. Those were the possessions that stood out. Like there weren't many, maybe three guys on last year's roster that could do it. And even even still, those came with a caveat because Xavier could, but what was waiting for him at the next level? Yeah, you know, it was it was a good point. There was always a caveat with you know, hey. Oscar kind of 
just being a big disruptor. Like it, it was, did so many amazing things for this program, but also was a disruptor in so many different ways of that creation. So it just, it created such a, uh, and he didn't give you anything. That, he didn't give you anything above the rim either. Like when those guards did get in there, there, it was Jacob Toppin that was finishing the lobs at the rim. I know Chris Livingston had a couple too, but when you're talking about Ugo and Bradshaw, when you get both those guys back, you do have guys that can finish above the backside of that defense and finish some lobs. I do think that that was the one thing that was missing. I know a Thiero, you know, had some dunks and things and stuff, but when you have that dunker spot five there, if Kentucky's not going to go five out and you saw them really lift Trey Mitchell a ton offensively and play kind of in the middle third of the floor. And that's where I think he's probably going to be the most dynamic. He and was if he slide, terrific in that area. He was in that spot. And if you slide him to the four, I, I texted you and Steven right before the first game. And I was like over under, Three point corner threes. Well, if he plays the four, you're going to see more corner threes from Trey, but you're also going to see him be effective in that middle third. But the two bigs that aren't playing right now, they're going to add some dunks and stuff on the back side of that because these guards are going to get get downhill and Big's going to have to lift up and help. And that's the, an area of Kentucky's offense that wasn't there on the strip that I think should be that people should be excited for because those two guys will add that. Big, big, big quote that Cal again. I. Nothing Cal says is ever an accident. Nothing is ever uh, a coincidence. It's very impactful. It's very intentional, everything that he says. What I'm excited about, as you can tell, is we've got good basketball players. They're skilled, and you know we're playing basketball. I'm not having to invent shots every time down the court, going back to your, your floppy action. It's hard to coach that way. I'm telling them, do more so I can do less. Those are my best teams. Do more, talk more, call more, call what you want to run. I don't care. Just do it together. How much did you see, Sean, of... With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Big picture system growth of, like, like we talked about the Zoom actions and the get, like, those things, big picture ideas rather than drawing up individual plays for individual players. I, I I love that about what Cal said is I don't have to draw up a, a, a shot for every single player down the floor and, and grind things out in that way. I can just have big picture ideas of call whatever you want. We can throw new sets in. We can get creative and throw new actions in and, and wrinkles and things like that. I just don't want to draw up individual shots for you. And because of how unselfish this team is, they're able to play that creative style that I think Kentucky fans have been, have been missing. They're, they didn't run a ton of quick hitters and, and things. It was mostly playing within the and what system that they have put in. And it was a random system. And that's a word that we heard a ton on that trip before the trip and, and everything that that are going to play random basketball, which makes you hard to scout when you're not running set after set after set after set and going at Justin Edwards, or you're running this for Antonio Reeves, or you're running this for DJ Wagner. 
it makes you hard to, to scout because now you're just playing basketball and you're making reads. Like there was a play early in the trip where I think – I can't remember. I think it was DJ. He couldn't get by his man, but then Trey Mitchell flashes to the high post area. He feeds him and he makes a back cut. Yep. That is just playing in space and reacting. That They're is chemistry together, by the way. Filthy. You'd have oh. no idea they've been together for two weeks. And and using him in that spot. And here's another thing that I think you're going to see Kentucky do with him. And I think I may have said this on an episode last weekend, but just in case I didn't, I want to say it again. When teams go zone against Kentucky, and you're going to see that at times, I think having him as a guy that can flash in and, and kind of stand around that high post area and not just be a guy that can knock down that 14, 15-foot jump shot, but a guy that can pass it out of that spot too, that adds a lot to your game offensively. He can pass the basketball. He can shoot the basketball. We got to see some of his tape and stuff over the course of his career from UMass to Texas to West Virginia. I didn't realize that he was as polished as a passer as what we saw last week. And maybe it's because he hadn't had the opportunities in those spots to, to do those things. But that's another guy that he fits the system of what Kentucky has on its roster. So you didn't see a ton of quick hitters. You didn't see a ton of sets. Now, when Kentucky gets in the season here, I still hope that they play up tempo and just push it, push it, attack, and just get into their dribble drive motion. But out of timeouts, maybe sideline situations, situations where they are walking the basketball, I think you'll see Kentucky go and run some stuff. And, and, and I don't think it's going to be just a quick hitter. I think it's going to be a quick hitter to start their offense. Yep. If you can get Antonio Reeves a shot off of a stagger screen, boom, right into it, take it. If it's not there, you flow right into dribble drive. I think that's going to be what Kentucky builds its offense with is just quick hitters to – Get a look. If you don't get it, boom, you're attacking and right into a flow and not just 25 to 20 seconds of floppy action just running off baseline screens. There's going to be a pace and a flow to this offense that's not been there in recent years. I think, again, the intentionality of Cal saying we we need to get away from the dribbling the air out of the ball 12 seconds before getting into what we're, what we're trying to do. Like – maybe run a quick hitter and if it doesn't work go straight to your dribble drive like it that's that's the beauty of this team that i that, that that's what i'm most excited for like I, I just think they got the dudes that jerome tang was making fun of leaving the ncaa tournament this past year in greensboro like they were missing those dudes and they now have the dudes to be able to run what I think Cal has really wanted to run all along. And like, I, I know we kind of called him stubborn and, you know, the, the archaic offense stuff and all that. Like at some point it comes down to personnel as well. And yeah, Cal did recruit those guys to his program. So part, you know, part of it does fall back on him, but he has not had a group like this in years. I think it's been since the 2016, 17 group that he's had this many live action ball handlers, guys that are capable of getting to their spots, getting paint touches, getting kickouts or opportunities around the basket. Like Again, I'm interested to see how when Aaron Bradshaw comes back and Ugo comes back, how that changes things. But big picture, like Cal has the dudes, and I think that's why he's so excited. And that's wow. personally why I'm so excited. It's, it's a, a really, really fun thing. And, um, and one more note, too, with offense. When you you mentioned the Zoom and you mentioned the get action stuff that Kentucky did, and, and the get action part is probably some of my favorite just because it's so simple to run and, and things. And when you got a guy like Trey Mitchell who occupies so much attention and DJ Wagner coming off of that getting downhill and kind of forcing help, and you've got guys like Antonio Reeves – 
you know, spotted up and lifting that occupies the, the help defender and the guy that, that, that does some things like it just spaces the floor so much better. And that's where you saw some some of Trey Mitchell's open threes was off things like that. Guards getting downhill, uh, forcing help and then firing that thing back out there and, and, and playing in space like. But Cal said a lot of good stuff. And how about Cal talking over the trip and changing his mind? Well, at first, I don't really like Justin Love before. That. But then he comes back and ended the trip talking about, like you said, this isn't, you know, a wrestling match and, and things. And that is something that Kentucky did. I, I tweeted that earlier in the week. At one point, Cal recruited the best athletes. He threw – shooting out the window and and kind of skill set. He went and got the biggest, strongest, most athletic guys, the guys that could fly above the rim and make plays there. And then he made it work. And for a long time, Jack, it did work. And to his credit, it worked well. And then somebody asked me, well, what maybe led, why did he take so long to change? Well, when you're really successful like that man is and he's in the Hall of Fame, you probably don't think you really need to change very much. Because for the most of it, most part of his career, He's done it at a very high level, and he's done it well. But now you don't want to get left behind. And some of those comments that he made now signals more to basketball players. That's not that the athletes. You get some that are athletic, but he's got basketball players now. Like, Reed Shepard's not the best athlete. He's not going to – he can jump, he can dunk, he can jump. But we're not talking like Hamadou Diallo athleticism and things like that. But we're talking guys that make shots, high IQ basketball players. Across the board, all these guys, IQ. Trey Mitchell, high IQ. You're, you're seeing it with DJ, like Antonio Reeves. Like, it's just beautiful basketball to watch. And I think that this team is going to grade out as one of the more efficient teams in Kim Palm on the offensive end. And it's going to be fun to watch, especially when they add the full roster together. I want to see what it looks like then. I, I, did you like uh, – and, Stephen, if, if you can pull this up, it was on my Twitter page, the, the Cal talking the lineup. Um where he said, like, yeah, if you go DJ and Antonio and uh, R- Rob or Reed and Justin, and then he was like, and then you just go. It was one of my favorite moments of the whole trip because it was like, yes, he sees the vision. The vision, it's finally here. Like, we've been talking about this for so long. And the growth, like you said, of literally to start the event, leave like after the team Germany win, he was like, Yeah, man, I tried Justin the four stuff just wasn't working, man. It is what it is. Literally, like, shoot. I mean, it's again, it's not, we're not wrestling, it's not a decathlon, it's not a track meet, it's not a wrestling, it's not, ba- this is basketball. And if he could gain 10 pounds before the time we start to have DJ, Robert, Antonio, Justin, or Reed in there and have four literally like shoot. I mean, it's, again, okay, that's it's good. not. We're not- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cal. This is what we've been waiting for. God, I love this, man. That was, that was a good trip, man. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I don't want to drag on. We have a lot of content to, that we need to stretch out. Obviously, we are now approaching the slow period. Hopefully, we get some recruiting news and buzz and things like that. It, it's. Um, I was told that they were focused on 
obviously Toronto getting wins there, figuring out the team health, what's going on with Ugo, what's going on with Aaron Bradshaw, you know, figuring out big picture. The the start of the preseason that was, you know, priority number one for this program, and then they were going to kind of. Uh, weigh their options at the end of July about, okay, what do we need to do recruiting wise? Who are we going to go all in on? Who are we going to kind of back off on? Um, going to have to hit 2025 hard for reclasses. Who should we go all in on? Things like that. So I think we're now going to start getting some updates on, you know, recruiting updates on guy, um, hosting official visitors and uh, who Kentucky's really going to go all in on. Are they going to make pushes for uh, any individual recruits, get that 2024 class rolling? I know, Santo is kind of penciled in what depending on what happens with him if he reclasses or not um, he's penciled in as commit number one but what does Cal go do from here I, I really think in the next week or two we're going to start getting some some new names and uh, it, at least getting who who what cream is going to rise to the top with that group and, and who Cal really likes uh, and now, now that the dust has settled on Toronto so uh, it's we're, we're going to hit a slowdown period inevitably but uh, it, there's still going to be plenty to talk about and we'll be able to um, talk about other big picture things about what this team's looking like, what we need to see from this team moving forward. But John, it was good. It was good, good, good trip, good four four game stretch, and it's never a bad thing to come home with a gold medal. No, it, it's never. And I, I thought that that was that was cool to see them celebrating and and things with the gold medal. And you, you're right, we're entering a stretch here where things are going to slow down a little bit. We just had this trip in July, probably one of the busiest Julys we've had on this show since this has been a show, but this is where we kind of lean on our listeners and our, our fans. And I'm sure we'll do some questions and stuff moving forward in some episodes. We'll answer more questions and, and things, and we'll see what happens with the transfer portal in August and where Kentucky goes. But Hey, it, at least it bridged the gap from March till October. And we got to see high quality basketball and at least give us an idea of what Kentucky is going to do. And, you know, pretty soon we'll start getting some, something of what this schedule is going to look like in the non-conference and, some layout of what the Southeastern Conference schedule is going to look like. So there, there's going to be content around the corner. So it won't be long. Get those likes in, get those subscribes in. Uh, appreciate everybody that tunes in on, on our show. Get us to 22,000 subscribers. We appreciate each and every one of you. Appreciate Bird Dogs. Appreciate Andy Ludicky. And pr- appreciate our title sponsor, as always, Justice and Old. They are the absolute best. Sean Smith, let's get the heck out of here. Where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. Find me on Twitter as well at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email, jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the Jam Pack Sources A podcast. We will see you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. 
Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-427 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.